Chapter 6 of Book 1 of Les Miserables, Volume 2 by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Garrett Tooley. Les Miserables, Volume 2 by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 1. Chapter 6. Four o'clock in the afternoon. Towards four o'clock, the condition of the English army was serious. The Prince of Orange was in command of the center, heel of the right wing, picked in of the left wing. The Prince of Orange, desperate and intrepid, shouted to the Hollando-Belgians, Nassau, Brunswick, never retreat. Hill, having been weakened, had come up to the support of Wellington. Picton was dead. At the very moment when the English had captured from the French the flag of the 105th of the line, the French had killed the English general Picton with a bullet through the head. The battle had for Wellington two bases of action, Hougmont and La Haye-Sainte. Hougmont still held out, but was on fire. La Haye-Sainte was taken. Of the German battalion which defended it, only forty-two men survived. All of the officers except five were either dead or captured. Three thousand combatants had been massacred in that barn. A sergeant of the English guards, the foremost boxer in England, reputed invulnerable by his companions, had been killed there by a little French drummer boy. Barring had been dislodged, Alton put to the sword. Many flags had been lost, one from Alton's division and one from the battalion of Lunenburg, carried by a prince of the house of De Pont. The Scotch greys no longer existed. Ponsonby's great dragoons had been hacked to pieces. That valiant cavalry had bent beneath the lancers of Bro and beneath the couriers of Traverse. Out of twelve hundred horses, six hundred remained. Out of three lieutenant colonels, two lay on the earth. Hamilton, wounded, matter slain, Ponsonby had fallen, riddled by seven lance thrusts. Gordon was dead. Marsh was dead. Two divisions, the fifth and sixth, had been annihilated. Hougmont injured and the Saint taken, there now existed but one rallying point, the center. That point still held firm. Wellington reinforced it. He summoned thither Hill, who was at Merbrain, he summoned Chasse, who was at Brain-Alleud. The center of the English army, rather concave, very dense, and very compact, was strongly posted. It occupied the plateau of Mont-Saint-Jean, having behind it the village, and in front of it the slope, which was tolerably steep then. It rested on that stout stone dwelling which at that time belonged to the domain of Nivelles, and which marks the intersection of the roads, a pile of the sixteenth century, and so robust that the cannonballs rebounded from it without injuring it. All about the plateau the English had cut the hedges here and there, made embouchures in the hawthorn trees, thrust the throat of a cannon between two branches, embattled the shrubs. There, artillery was ambushed in the brushwood. This punic labor, incontestably authorized by war which permits traps, was done so well that Haxel, who had been dispatched by the emperor at nine o'clock in the morning to reconnoiter the enemy's batteries, had discovered nothing of it, and had returned and reported to Napoleon that there were no obstacles except the two barricades which barred the road to Nivelingenap. It was at the season when the grain is tall, on the edge of the plateau, a battalion of Kempt's brigade, the 95th, armed with carabines, was concealed in the tall wheat. Thus assured and buttressed, the centre of the Anglo-Dutch army was well posted. The peril of this position lay in the forest of Sons, then adjoining the field of battle and intersected by the ponds of Grandenel and Boisfort. An army could not retreat thither without dissolving. The regiments would have broken up immediately there. The artillery would have been lost amongst the morasses. The retreat, according to many a man versed in the art, though it is disputed by others, would have been a disorganized flight. 
To this center, Wellington added one of Schoss's brigades taken from the right wing, and one of Winnick's brigades taken from the left wing, plus Clinton's division. To his English, to the regiments of Halkett, to the brigades of Mitchell, to the guards of Maitland, he gave as reinforcements and aids the infantry of Brunswick, Nassau's contingent, Kielmansegg's Hanoverians, Omteda's Germans. This placed twenty-six battalions under his hand. The right wing, as Shara says, was thrown back on the center. An enormous battery was massed by sacks of earth at the spot where there now stands what is called the Museum of Waterloo. Besides this, Wellington had, behind a rise in the ground, Somerset's dragoon guards, fourteen hundred horse strong. It was the remaining half of the justly celebrated English cavalry. Ponsonby destroyed, Somerset remained. The battery, which, if completed, would have been almost a redoubt, was ranged behind a very low garden wall backed up with a coating of bags of sand and a large slope of earth. This work was not finished. There had been no time to make a palisade for it. Wellington, uneasy but impassive, was on horseback, and there remained the whole day in the same attitude, a little in advance of the old mill of Mont-Saint-Jean, which is still in existence beneath an elm, which an Englishman, an enthusiastic vandal purchased later on for two hundred francs, cut down and carried off. Wellington was coldly heroic. The bullets rained about him. His aide-de-camp Gordon fell at his side, Lord Hill, pointing to a shell which had burst, said to him, "'My lord, what are your orders in case you are killed?' To do like me, replied Wellington. To Clinton, he said laconically, to hold this spot to the last man. The day was evidently turning out ill. Wellington shouted to his old companions of Talavera, of Vittoria, of Salamanca, Boys, can retreat be thought of? Think of old England. Towards four o'clock the English line drew back. Suddenly nothing was visible on the crest of the plateau except the artillery and the sharpshooters. The rest had disappeared. The regiments, dislodged by the shells and the French bullets, retreated into the bottom, now intersected by the back road of the farm of Mont-Saint-Jean. A retrograde movement took place, the English front hid itself, and Wellington drew back. "'The beginning of retreat!' cried Napoleon. End of Book One, Chapter Six Recording by Garrett Tooley